gather around, gather around. The Fantasy Vulture is in town. You already know who it is. My name is Mike Kyle. I have over a decade worth of fantasy football experience and have continuously competed for fantasy championships over the course of the past seven seasons. Let's make it eight in 2021. But enough of me. I'm here for you. Hey, did you know that Antonio Gibson finished as the running back 13 on the season despite only playing above 50% of the snaps in four games? Yeah, that's right. Now, in return for your fantasy stat of the day, be sure to hit that like button down below. Also, hit that subscribe button so you never miss a video from me. Look, I don't make the rules over here. But enough of me. I'm here for you. Let's talk about where I was right in the 2020 season, a lot of takes, a lot of opinions were, th were thrown out. Some were right, some were wrong. If you missed the video where I talked about my worst uh, predictions for the 2020 season, you can click that right up here. I think it's somewhere. There's, there's a card up here. Be sure to click it. It's really informative, uh, and you guys can make fun of me for all my bad takes on the year. But I also had a handful of takes that were absolutely correct, and we're going to dive through a few of those in this video. But before we do that, be sure to follow me. Again, I got it wrong. What is going on here? Uh, follow me on all social media platforms at FFVulture. Content on all those platforms are coming down the pipe, and I'm really excited about some of the things that I have cooking this offseason for all of those platforms. But without further ado, let's get started. Here are my top five best fantasy football takes from the 2020 fantasy football season. These can either be preseason takes or they could be midseason adjustments. I want to kind of make that I want to make that clarification real quick. And we're going to start off with number five. Hold slash trade for Lamar Jackson and Jonathan Taylor. So we're going to start off a little two for one special here. After a rocket week one from Lamar Jackson versus the Browns, he quickly fell off. The passing yardage remained pretty low. His rushing ability felt capped due to the crowded backfield of Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, and Gus Edwards. Uh, and it was only a matter of time, I felt like, before the offense started clicking. One of the things that I repeatedly said early on in the season was, this Ravens offense doesn't look right. I'm not sure what it is, but something feels off. Uh, they were struggling to score points. The offense was stalling, and it was just an ugly situation. But it was only a matter of time before the Baltimore Ravens got their legs back under them. And with their second half rest of season schedule, it was primed. It was primed for a big run, and that run propelled them through the playoffs. So just to kind of give you an idea here. Since week 13 specifically, I feel like, like that's where we have to start. Like that was when the schedule turned in favor of the Ravens here. They played Dallas, Cleveland, Jacksonville, the Giants, and the Bengals. Lamar Jackson in those games. 25 points, 36, 30, 22, 25. Lamar Jackson came back to life when you needed him the most. For, for me, automatically knowing what his schedule was going, was going to look like during the playoffs, during the back half of the fantasy football season, this was a guy who I was holding or a guy who I was trading for. There was no, I'm not trading, I'm not trading away, I'm not trading, I'm not trading away Lamar Jackson. Doesn't matter what the offer is. I'm holding this guy because I know what's coming for him. And along that same line was Colts rookie running back, Jonathan Taylor, who was on a timeshare. For nearly the entire season, and it was even seeing only 30% of snaps for a portion two. Despite that, he was consistently finishing as a top 15 as a top 15 running back, excuse me, and looked good doing so. Uh, the issue was that everybody, myself included, uh, kind of crowned him to be a top 10 guy, 
once Marlon Mack went down with the injury, uh, that torn Achilles. And the issue with that is the Colts had other plans. Uh, the Colts wanted to use that running back by committee of Jonathan Taylor, Naeem Hines, and Jordan Wilkins to a degree. And with that being said, it really just bummed out a lot of us. I think that's what the issue was, was uh, we all put him top five. Like, Jonathan Taylor's on top five guy, and it just wasn't the case. Uh, but we were all just waiting for the breakout to come, right? Because Jonathan Taylor was a guy who at Wisconsin was a dominant running back. We knew what he profiled as coming into the NFL. That Colts offensive line was great, and their offense was good enough to move the ball. And once Jonathan Taylor got that opportunity during the second half of the season, things just took off, right? He was seeing above 50% of the snaps. He was seeing 15, 16, 20-plus carries a game here. And his second half run, for example, uh, he had 13 versus Green Bay, 21 versus Houston, 29 versus the Raiders, 17 versus Houston again, 20 versus Pittsburgh, and 37 in Week 17 versus Jacksonville. All of that on top of what actually happened during the early parts of the year during Weeks 1, 2, and 3, where he was seeing about 40-ish percent of the snaps here, 11.9, 18, 12.7. He had 8.4 versus Chicago, 14.3 versus Cleveland, and 13.5 versus Cincinnati. So even when like the snap percentages weren't that high for Jonathan Taylor, he was still finishing as a top 15 running back. And that's what I was saying early on in the year. I'm like, guys, yes, the expectation for Jonathan Taylor was super high with the loss of Marlon Mack. He was supposed to be a top five guy automatically. But you look at what he's doing. He's still giving you close, if not, if not RB1 performances here. Just wait on it, be patient, and sure enough, I know multiple people who won championships off of the back of Jonathan Taylor and his uh, late season heroics. This was an easy hold call for me. This was a guy who I was also trying to trade for at, during parts of the season. Uh, it was automatic. It was automatic. The tight, He was due. He was due. Simple as that. Number four, David Montgomery, Mr. Greenlight himself. That is his official nickname over here on Fantasy Vulture. Look, David Montgomery had a really disappointing rookie rookie season. Uh, he was one of the most highly touted running backs coming out of last year's draft class. But the biggest flaw was that Montgomery, the production, didn't match the workload after his rookie season. Uh, however, what we always say in fantasy is that this is the game of talent and opportunity. We know that David Montgomery is talented, and he also had the opportunity uh, he was the guy who saw 275 rush attempts as a rookie. Like, that is that is volume that does not grow on trees, right? You can't pull a guy who sees 250-plus carries. We'll, we'll lower it by 25. You aren't pulling a guy who's, who's seen the ball 250-plus times off the waiver wire, right? Uh, this was a guy who his ADP was in the 6th, 7th, or even 8th round this offseason, and I was jumping for joy you go back watch the all 32 video on the chicago bears and you can hear me just exclaim my excitement for this you are getting a starting running back who sees monster workloads during the mid during the mid slash later rounds of your fantasy draft like that is depth that money cannot buy imagine you draft dalvin cook right a guy with an injury history and you get david montgomery in the seventh round of your draft as a backup running back. Oh my God. Or if you wanted to and you wanted to go and you wanted to go wide receiver heavy early on. Congratulations, your running back two is David Montgomery. 
in the seventh round. Are you fucking kidding me? And David Montgomery put his put your team on his back during the final seven weeks of the season. The reason why I call him Mr. Greenlight is because you look at what he did from weeks nine on, where every single one of his opponents was in the bottom third of run defense, and he carved those motherfuckers up. He carved them up. Uh... 22, 25, 23, 28, 19, 23 to round out the season was also consistently seeing six plus targets with the loss of Tariq Cohen. That was another thing that really boosted Montgomery's floor. Uh, What a year. What a year was also getting into the end zone during that last stretch as well. And even still, you look at what he was doing. You look at what he was doing during the early parts of the season. Yes, it was a bit of a struggle, but he was still, again, like like Jonathan Taylor before him, he was still finishing around that RB fifteen range, right? You're looking at games of 21 points versus the Giants, uh, 15 versus Tampa, 11 versus Carolina, 12 versus uh, the Saints. Like he was still putting up these games. They just weren't the boom games that we were, that we all wanted David Montgomery to have during his rookie season, but they came. And they came in a tsunami. They came in a tidal wave that took your team to the next level in a way that you would not have been able to imagine. Why? Because this is a guy who was seeing the ball 275 times a season. And you got him in the seventh round. Automatic. This was, this was to me, this was probably, this was likely my easiest call of the year, all things considered. Like that, this one just felt so obvious to me. Uh, let's move on to number three, Devontae Adams. And I, the only reason why I say that it might have been my easiest call, because Devontae Adams, I think, could have been as well. Uh, Devontae Adams, by the end of the offseason, Devontae Adams was my wide receiver one. I talked about this, I think, during the Green Bay All-32, where I was like, hey, I like Devontae Adams looked like legitimately should be wide receiver one over Michael Thomas. Adams, to me, is the rare combination of a wide receiver who can maximize his yardage, has insane touchdown potential, and is going to see a shit ton of targets, right? With the Packers refusing to bring in another wide receiver uh, on this team during the draft or through free agency, the game plan was loud and clear. Get Devontae Adams the fucking ball and let him go to work. And that is what they did over and over and over again. He was going to see an excessive amount of targets with Aaron Rodgers throwing to him, obviously. And this was so obvious, I could not believe how long it took for people to kind of get on this Devontae Adams wave, right? Just for an example, I believe over the course of the past four seasons, Devontae Adams has had 10-plus touchdowns in three of them. And last year, I believe he finished with eight. And uh, I believe he finished with eight last season. And the only reason why it was that, because he missed... Four games due to injury with that toe injury that he had last year. Uh, Devontae Adams. There we go. I'm pulling up the game log right now. All right, yeah. That, that, like, that is literally what this is. Um, in 2016, 12 touchdowns. 2017, 10. 2018, 13. Last year, the injured year, he only had five. And this year, he had 18 touchdowns. He had 18 touchdowns, right? The yardage, the targets. He had 150 targets, 149 total targets on the year, 115 receptions. Like, this was just the perfect storm of hyper-talented player, touchdown machine, sees a shit ton of targets, the yardage is going to be there, he had 1,300 yards. Like, what are we talking about? 
what are we talking about here? Devontae Adams, by far and away, wide receiver one. I don't want to hear it. I don't. I will, I will not entertain any other discussion. Devontae Adams is that fucking dude. He is that fucking dude. And I nailed that prediction in 2020. Number two, the rookie sensation himself. We're going to stick along with the wide receivers here. Justin Jefferson. And admittedly, I don't know how much credit I want to give myself for Justin Jefferson, right? He was my number one rookie wide receiver for the majority of the offseason. For me, he was the player that made that LSU offense move, the historic all-time great LSU offense. Uh, Jefferson consistently found holes in defenses, and he turned in big play after big play. He was also drafted to the Vikings, where where he replaced the recently departed Stephon Diggs. And that just meant he was automatically going to see 100 plus targets because that's what because that's what Stephon Diggs was seeing, and Jefferson just kind of slid right into that mold here. But I foolishly traded Justin Jefferson for Henry Ruggs during our Dynasty rookie draft after I just traded Tyreek Hill, trying to kind of supplement one Tyreek Hill for a potential other. But regardless, my love for Justin Jefferson was loud, and his rookie season was unreal. The most, uh, the most yards by a rookie in NFL history, the most touchdowns by a rookie in Vikings history, the highest graded rookie by Pro Football Focus this season, and he also led the league in gritty touchdown dances. Like, Justin Jefferson was just that dude. And I think the thing that makes it really interesting for me is the upside was always there. And because of the fact that he just played this game to where he was always just able to either find holes in the defense or it only he only needs like one big play uh, to kind of boost his game, he was able to turn in good performance after good performance, right? You look at some of the things he did here. Uh, we're going to go, we're actually going to not, looking outside of weeks one and two, because th- those were the games where he was only playing 60% of the snaps, right? Because the Vikings, for whatever reason, uh, struggled to get him on the field, or he struggled to get himself on the field, should I say. I mean, after that, you're looking at, of the 14 games since then, he had three in single digits. Everything else was doubled. I'm sorry, he had four in uh, single digits. Everything else, the other 12 were, uh, I'm sorry, the other 10. My math is all messed, all messed up. The other 10 games were all in double digits. He had boom games, the 27 game versus Tennessee, the 35 game versus Atlanta, uh, the 22 versus Jacksonville, the 22 versus Carolina, like Justin Jefferson is just that fucking dude. He's just that fucking dude. And he's going to make this Vikings offense continue to roll, continue to be a threat in the passing game. And the duo between him and Adam Thielen is basically Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs. And that's just the way it's going to be. Justin Jefferson's future in the NFL is bright and he had a fantastic rookie season. So I'm glad to be right on that one, even though I unfortunately, stupidly, foolishly traded Justin Jefferson for Henry Ruggs uh, during the offseason. Pain, pain, pain. But we're going to stick with the rookies here because my number one take of 2020, the place where I was the most right, Antonio Gibson. Listen, the Antonio Gibson hype train left the station a while ago, but I just want to remind you who was on that bitch first. Hello, his name is me, his name is Mike Kyle, and hello. I'm here. As I was doing my rookie draft prep in March, uh, I was doing my film study on all the players, and I remember putting on Gibson's tape, and on the little player intro card, I saw uh, what, uh, on the player intro card, it was Antonio Gibson, six foot two, running back slash wide receiver. And the first words out of my mouth, 
on I remember this vividly. The first words out of my mouth, and I think I have them in my notes here as well from my rookie scouting was What do you mean he's six foot two and he plays running back and wide receiver? Like I'm like, what are you talking about here? Like, who is this guy? And the talent of Antonio Gibson was so easy to spot just based off of that four-minute highlight tape that I watched. He jumped off the page, was electric in multi and multiple facets of the game, and seeing him drafted highly to the Washington football team with Ron Rivera and Scott Turner, who had just coached Christian McCaffrey, like, this was so fucking obvious what Antonio Gibson was going to do. Gibson led the league in rookie touchdowns and was head and shoulders the best running back on this Washington football team uh, beside, behind JD, I'm sorry, ahead of J.D. McKissick and Peyton Barber. The whole conversation about J.D. McKissick is going to happen this offseason, which I'm not looking forward to, which I'm not looking forward to. Gibson finished the year as running back 13 in PPR and his ADP for the majority of the offseason was A, undrafted, B, round 12, C, round 10, or D, round eight, right? And he was only moved up once Adrian Peterson was released from this team. I don't know. I don't know how... I, I, I'm truly at a loss for words. I'm truly at a loss for words because this is the thing that's actually blowing my mind, right? Antonio Gibson missed two point eight games, right? He played uh, 5% of the snaps in that week 13 game versus Pittsburgh, where he then left that game with a turf toe injury, missed the next two games, and finished as running back 13. Running back 13. I'm going to do my adjusted scores at some point during the offseason, but with that being said, just looking at this, I'd assume that Antonio Gibson probably finishes a running back 10 had he played a full season. Just an unbelievable rookie year from him. Looked great, was getting in the end zone frequently, showed his ability as a pass catcher even though he wasn't fully utilized in that situation, and this was a Washington football team offense that was not good. This was an offense that stalled, this was an offense that at times struggled to put points on the board, but the one thing that was consistent was Antonio Gibson in the red zone. Whenever they got down to the goal line, Gibson was the guy and was able to punch it in consistently and religiously, and I'm so fucking happy, so happy that Antonio Gibson hit during his rookie season. After all the doubt and all the speculation of he only had 33 rush attempts in college, and he only was this, and he can only do this, um, he's a gadget player. Like, what are we talking about here? What what tape are you watching? I'm glad I saw the right tape. I'm glad I was able to quickly identify Antonio Gibson was going to be a player and a major factor for this Washington football team. And he put together a hell of a rookie season. And that is where I was the most right in 2020. So thank you so much for watching this video. If you enjoyed, be sure to hit that like button down below. You can also hit that subscribe button so you never miss a video from me. Follow me on all social media platforms at FF Vulture. More content coming down those pipes super soon. And daily content is also happening over here on YouTube. Check out the podcast if you haven't. If you don't want to sit through these videos and you'd rather and you'd rather listen to everything as a podcast you can the website is ffvulture.com and with that i will see you in the next video remember people come and go but fantasy championships are forever and i will see you next time